We're in a series on the book of Proverbs, A Guide to Life. Throughout the summer, we're walking through the book of Proverbs, looking at the various themes that they have. And the way we're looking at this book is it is vertical wisdom for horizontal living. Vertical wisdom, learning things from God that will help us in our relationships with others. And in fact, uh, what we've been zeroing in on is that our world teaches us, it says, hey, live and learn. But what the book of Proverbs says is learn and live. Learn from me as to what you should do, then live. You don't have to always learn by your mistakes. You can learn from God's word. And once you learn it, then you live it out. And so what we're going to talk about today is anger. All right. Anybody here never been angry? Any? All right, good. We're all there. We've all dealt with anger before. Thomas Jefferson said that when you're angry, count to 10 before you speak. If you're really angry, count to 100, okay? Mark Twain built on that, and he says, if you're angry, count to four before you speak. If you're really angry, swear. All right, now we're not going, we're not going with Mark Twain today, so I'm not telling you to swear. But we've all had those times when we've just gotten angry. And the question is, how do you respond to that emotion? The emotion's going to come. It's not a sermon to say, hey, never get angry. Even the Bible says, be angry, but sin not. So what happens when you're angry? Well, what is it that lights your fuse? What is it that really ticks you off? Well, you know, I've been looking at this series for a number of months, and um, as we told you, we have moved, and we did an, a move within the city, which are sometimes the most difficult moves to make. And really for the last two months, I've been in an anger incubator, okay? If you have ever dealt with getting in a house and then all the things tied into that and depending on others to come and hook this up and set this up and calling your utilities and all of that over and over and told one thing, get another, this person doesn't show up and did the wrong thing. It's just an incubator. In fact, this whole sermon is just going to be me telling you all the things I'm chapped about. No, (laughs) but the one that drives me the craziest, and maybe I'm old school, is that I grew up When if you needed something, you would call and a human would answer the phone. You could say what you needed and then within moments they could get you directed. Not so any longer. When you call, what do you get? Automation. A computer. And they've really worked on the voices to make it sound like do you really think you're talking to a person. And... um, I hate to throw, I will, AT&T under the bus, um, but I worked for him for eight and a half years. I still own stock in the company, so I'm, I'm all over you on that. But um, we still have a landline. We're one of the few people have landlines. So when all your stuff falls apart and you need someone to call, you better get with me because I'm the only guy that's got it. And it's just to move the service from this to here. This is not difficult. And it didn't get moved. And so I called. It took me an hour and 20 minutes. I listened to three different recordings. I had two different individuals that promised me they wouldn't send me to automation, and they did. And I finally got a person who said, the facilities are not ready. That's it. That's all I wanted to know. An hour and 20 minutes. And that automated voice kept asking me these questions, and I kept answering. I'm punching it on the keypad, or I'm answering this. 
And by the fourth time, I think I got circled around to it. It says, can you describe what your problem is? I "I want to talk to a human. And I love when they come back. I didn't really understand what your request was. Could you repeat that again? I said, I'm a pastor. And if I wasn't, what I would repeat may be different. I said, gosh, you're driving me crazy. And when I finally got a guy says, you're going to make my day. Just promise me you'll answer my question. Don't send me to another computer. I'm just about to go crazy. Anger. It's an emotion that we all deal with. But the question is, is when that begins to rise up within ourselves, how are we supposed to respond? Well, the book of Proverbs is all over this. And it talks to us about some of the cost of having a quick temper that at the same time tells you about the value of having a slow temper. So let's just look through and we're going to look at, at a number of the, uh, of the Proverbs and uh, let's start off with talking about the cost of a quick temper, cost of a quick temper. All right. So when something comes up and you get angry and you just jump right into it, what is the cost of that? Number one, the Bible says you act foolishly. You act foolishly. Look what it says in Proverbs fourteen seventeen. Fourteen seventeen says a man of quick temper, which is also translated quick to anger. It acts foolishly and a man of evil devices is hated. But of quick temper, he acts foolishly. Now what's interesting, the etymology of this word anger, it is a word that comes from nostrils of all things. And so when it talks about anger, it says that you are a short of face nostrils. You say, what does that mean? Well, have you ever noticed that, that, uh, like an animal or something, that their nostrils will flare when they get angry or whatever? Well, when those nostrils flare, that's anger. Janice and I have got a good friend that, uh, we knew whenever he was angry because his nostrils would flare. And we would be sitting next to each other and he'd start saying something. We said, his nostrils are flaring. This is it. He's angry. And that's what that word means. And it says it's like your nostrils are flaring. And there's a change of disposition just that quick. And with that change of disposition, then you begin to say things and do things that are just foolish. It may be foolish actions like saying things that are hurtful. It may be actions that are hurtful. It may be where you inflict pain either emotionally or physically. It may be that you even destroy property because of your anger of things that you throw or things that you hit. And you look back on it and every bit of those things, it's really foolish. And other people that are watching you when you display this anger, it may be at a ball game. It may be at a neighbor's house. It may be in your house. It may be at your business. But whenever you do that and you step back, you say, that was pretty foolish. And everyone else says the same thing. The book of Proverbs says, a man of quick temper, he acts foolishly. Number two, the second cost of of this quick temper is that it stirs up strife. It just stirs up strife. Proverbs 15.8 says, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife. Just lays it out. So what do you mean by that, stirs up strife? Well, the first thing is hot-tempered. That phrase, hot-tempered, is a word that means both wrath and it means boiling over. It's the picture of poison boiling over. So now just think about that. Next time you get this hot temper, the scripture says it is like poison that is boiling over. 
And it says when that poison boils over, it, what it does is it begins to stir up strife. And the angry person typically creates dissension. He gets everybody upset. Feelings get hurt. Emotions overflow. Words are said that can never be taken back. And angry people make everybody nervous because they don't when they're going to explode next. And so it stirs up strife. Anger, when it is uncontrolled, never does any good. It just stirs people up and stirs things up. And what happens is, is sometimes you get so angry, you just hold on to it yourself. And when you hold on to it yourself, then you let it out by going behind people's back and you gossip and you say things that are not true. You say things that are hurtful to your family, hurtful to the team, hurtful to your business, destroy team unity. You just stirring up strife. And whenever you can't get a handle on this, a lot of times people say, well, it just affects me. No, it affects everyone that you come into contact with. And the book of Proverbs says it stirs up strife. But number three is, the third cost is, it leaves a trail of damage. It leaves a trail of damage. Proverbs chapter 29, 22 says this, a man of wrath stirs up strife and one given to anger causes much transgression. A person of uncontrolled anger leaves a wake in its way. And as it wrath goes uncontrolled, so does its damage. And whenever that angry person goes, they leave a trail of damage. And we see this in the book of Genesis. The very first crime <clears throat> that was ever recorded was the crime of murder. And it was Cain and Abel. Adam and Eve, after the fall, they had two sons, had Cain and Abel. When they gave their sacrifices to God, God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but didn't accept Cain's. Cain began to get jealous. Cain began to get angry. And God came to him and rewarded him. And he said, listen, Cain, you better get a handle on this because sin is crouching at your door. You need to rule over it. He didn't. And that jealousy and that anger grew and he murdered his brother. You see, as wrath goes uncontrolled, so does its danger and its damage. And it will just leave a trail of damage. So that's the cost of uncontrolled anger, a cost of quick temper. Well, let's look at the value, the value of being slow to anger. Now, we're all going to deal with anger. There's going to be things that are going to happen in our life that we're going to get anger on. The question is, how do you respond? The value of being slow to anger. Number one, it reveals great understanding. When you are slow to anger, it doesn't mean that you're a wuss or anything. It means that you have great understanding. Proverbs uh, 14, 29 says this, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. So the person that's got the hasty temper, he is lifting up foolish things and folly. But the person that has slowed anger, it means he has great understanding. What that means, he's got discretion, he's got reason, he's got skillfulness. He is a person that can step back, look at the situation before he reacts. Step back and look at everything and then be slow to anger. You see, anger is a judging emotion. What anger is, is when you recognize in your heart that something is not right and it begins to boil inside of you. But the person who has the slow response, able to take their time with it, is the one that controls that emotion. The fool is the one that doesn't control it and he just goes out and unleashes unfiltered whatever he or she wants to say. I'm mad, I'm angry, this comes out. All you have to do is watch television. 
You can see it in a reality show or you can see it in talk shows where people are just spewing anger left and right and nothing's getting accomplished. But it's the person of understanding that's able to sit back, be slow to anger and be reasonable in their discussions. So that takes you right into the second value. The second value of, of having that, that slow response is you tap into the power of patience and self-control. And this is pretty neat. A lot of times we'll look at patience and self-control. Some people say it's a virtue. Some say, well, do you really have that? Is it something that's that strong? Listen, there's a huge amount of power in the person who is patient and the person who has self-control. Proverbs 16.32 says this, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he who rules his spirit than he who takes the city. Now look at the contrast over here. He's contrasting the mighty, strong person, big conqueror, than he who takes a city, the one that can conquer a city. The writer of Proverbs says, hey, those guys may get the headlines, but let me tell you this. If you're slow to anger, you are better than the mighty. If you have patience and self-control, you're better than them. And if you rule your spirit, you're better than the guy that takes the city. If you can have dominion over your spirit, if you can control your anger, control your emotion, then you are better than the strongest of people on the outside. You see, patience is better in strength. For patience and self-control are their own forms of power. And he says, that's a great power to be patient and to have self-control. And you tap into that power when you are slow to anger. Okay, number three. The third value of this is it turns away wrath. The value of being slow to anger is that it turns away wrath. Proverbs 15.1 says this. It says, a soft, which means a gentle or tender answer, turns away wrath, but a harsh, hurtful, offensive word stirs up anger. The soft answer, it turns away wrath. We live in a world where everybody's bombastic and everybody seems to argue. And it's amazing. If you took a look at television today versus maybe 20 years ago, it's just hard not to find a channel where somebody's arguing with someone. There's never a show where people sit down and have a civil discussion. Someone's arguing, talking over each other. And, and if you've watched shows like I've tried to watch, I can't even keep up with what's going on because everybody's talking over everybody and everybody's yelling and, and getting everybody stirred up. But what Proverbs says is a soft answer is what turns away that wrath. You see, many conflicts arise not because the issues separating the parties are so great, but because of the temperaments that people bring to a confrontation. It's what you bring to the confrontation. And harshness just seems to hibernate in heavy hearts and it gets awakened when it's violated or disturbed. But by God's grace, that soft reply allows reason to run its course rather than passionate words that provide insult. Let reason run its course. In the Southern Baptist Convention, there's this uh, Calvinism debate that goes on and on. And, um, and at, at one of the conventions, when it was kind of getting a little tense, they had a so-called debate with Al Moeller, the president of Southern Baptist Seminary, and in Paige Patterson, the president of Southwestern. Uh, Al Moeller would be Calvinist and, and Paige would not, would not be that. And what they did was they stood before the convention and both of them expressed theologically why they believed what they believed. And the purpose of them doing this was to show you how two believers 
could disagree on theological issues, but yet be kind, be gentle, and be reasonable. It was phenomenal. It was great. And it's the way that we should handle discourse. We're going to disagree on things. That's fine. But there needs to be a way to be able to have a civil discourse without things escalating. And I'll grant you that once things escalate, and you know there, you've been there, once things escalate, I've been there, I begin to have a tendency to say things that I wish I didn't say. I will throw something out, and once it's out, it's gone, and I just, I can't pull that one back. I should have never said that. And I have just hurt someone's feelings or I have done something that is just kind of really chopped somebody down and there's a hurt and a pain and then there's a distance. But you see what Proverbs says is that soft answer, it turns away wrath. Emotion is kept in check by that calm communication and it promotes peace and understanding. There will be things we disagree with, but we need to turn away wrath. And number four, the final value of being a slow to anger is it wins the relationship. And I want you to write this down. It wins the relationship. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 8, we looked at, uh, we looked at the word when it says a hot-tempered man stirs up strife. But here's the second half of that. But he who is slow to anger, in the NIV it says it's patient, quiets contention. He who is slow to anger quiets contention. Your response to a situation influences it for good or for bad. There are some people who typically create dissension. You know them, you've met them, and they just want to come in and stir up things and have dissension. But your response to that situation will influence it for either good or for bad. Will there be dissension or will there be reasonableness? What anger does, it stirs up. Patience calms down. Anger reacts in the moment. Patience steps back to process. Anger rejects. Patience accepts. Anger gets revenge. Patience forgives. And Boyd Bailey wrote a, um, uh, a devotional on the book of Proverbs. And he made this statement in there that just jumped all over me, okay? And the statement is this. The goal of anger is to win the argument. The goal of patience is to win the relationship. Now, what you think about that? The goal of anger is to win the argument. That's why I get angry. That's why I get to speak louder and stronger. I've got to win the argument. Oftentimes, I win the argument, but I've lost the friendship and I've lost the relationship. Patience, the goal of patience is to win the relationship. My goal is to be in talking with someone is to maintain the relationship not just to win the argument, but to win the relationship. I thought about this as I looked at the ruling that happened on Friday. When the Supreme Court came down and was doing their redefinition uh, of marriage, naturally there were there was kind of feelings of anger and, uh, and disappointment and, and shock of what five unelected justices were going to do uh, to our nation, direction that, that they were taking us. And then I realized that is all you had to do is watch TV for just a little bit and they're talking heads on both sides and they're getting pretty angry and some of the people are yelling and hollering. And, you know, what I realized is that, you know, as Christ's followers, um, volatile arguing is really not going to get you anywhere. There's nowhere in Scripture where Jesus called us to win arguments. Jesus called us to win people to Christ. 
Jesus called us to win the relationship. What he's called us to do is to befriend the world and to show them who Christ is, to live a Christ life, and then to share them what the gospel is. And to talk to them about what does it mean to receive Christ as a Savior in your heart. And to love them unconditionally. So it's not so much winning the argument. Yes, we make a stand. And yes, you're supposed to stand for your principles. But in the midst of standing for your principles, don't lose the relationship. Don't stir up strife. Your responsibility is to gain an avenue for friendship and for discussion and to share the gospel. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 15, in the message, it says this. Patient persistence pierces through indifference, but gentle speech breaks down rigid defenses. Gentle speech breaks down rigid defenses. Monday morning, you'll go back to school uh, or work, excuse me. As you go back to work, some people may be going back to school, but as you go back to work, that's going to be talk. And there'll be talk about it. And there are going to be people on, on all kinds of sides on there discussing it. What we need to do as believers is have a gentle word. Yes, you stand up for what you believe. Yes, you stand up for what God's word says. But in the midst of it, let there be a gentle word. If you ever catch yourself saying, I think I'm winning this argument, but I'm losing the relationship, I dial it down. Most important is to win the relationship. And then to be able to show the love of Christ to others. Okay? So these are some actions to take. So these are actions to take. Kind of already set you up for what you're going to do on Monday morning. These are some actions to take to control your anger. Number one, seek, the under, seek to understand the situation before you act. Seek to understand the situation before you act. Um, it says that uh, when we're slow to anger, it says that we have understanding. So... Any situation that comes up, if you want to control anger, the first thing you want to do is understand the situation before you react. Oftentimes with anger, we get mad, we don't understand the situation, and we jump out there and we say something and do something, and then somebody comes back and tells us the whole truth, and we go, oh, never mind, but it's already gone. I took my watch in to get it repaired. And uh, they told me it'd probably be a couple of weeks before it'd be ready. It'd been three and a half weeks and I hadn't heard anything. Did I tell you that we've been moving? Um, you know, and some of my you know, sort of uh, patience and stuff was getting thin on every other item that was happening in my life. And, uh, and I was chapped. You know, I've been hammering on people all the time, trying to get this done, that done, that done for the house. Now I'm trying to just get a watch repaired and nobody's getting back with me. It's been about three and a half weeks. And so, you know, and I I go in the store and they give me a little song and dance and hey, it'll be next week. Someone will call you. So I go back home. It's been another two weeks. No one's ever called me. I am ready. And, uh, you know, almost every day I run and when I'm running, I have written the letter in my head of what I'm going to do. Forget the letter. It's a phone call. Forget the phone call. It's face to face. I'm going over there. I'm demanding my watch back and I'm giving a piece of my mind. All right. I know this is a shock to you that anyone would get angry over this, but I'm kind of there. And I said, you know what? I've just got to tell them this is not the way to do a business and uh, just fine. I'll get it. I'll take it somewhere else. So I'm driving home. And I've already made the conscious decision that the next day I'm going to do this. My phone rings. It's a guy from the, from the store. 
And he says, hey, I want to call, I want to apologize about being so long, not been able to get to your watch yet. Um, and um, he said, and that's just not like me. Usually I, I get to it a little bit sooner. I said, well, I, I understand, you know. And... Um, <laughs> But I didn't. I was getting ready. I was just getting ready to, to, you know, now I've got him right here. I'm getting ready to light into him. And he said, um, a closest friend of mine, a guy who'd been in the jury business for, gosh, 30, over 30 years, he said, um, he's right at death's door. And uh, he, is, um, he has slipped into a coma. I had traveled up to be with him, his family. And for the past week, I've been up there. And uh, kind of given last words because, you know, we don't know how much longer he's going to live. But it's probably best if, if he went on and died because he's just there in the coma. And that's been kind of tough. And then my stepdaughter has got like stage three cancer that, um, that she's going through right now. And so, you know, it's just, that's maybe more than you need to know. But I just wanted to let you know that that's what I'm going through. And, and, and I'm going get, to get to your watch. And, and then he said, you know, I, I don't know, you know, if you believe prayer. Because he didn't know I was a pastor or anything. He said, I, you know, I don't know uh, if, and I didn't give him any reason not to believe that. I hadn't said anything bad at this point. <laughs> and he says, you know, I don't know if you believe in prayer or that. And they're so uncomfortable, so scared to talk about God and prayer now. But, but you know, if you believe kind of like that, um, you know, it just, it'd be nice if you, if you, if you, if y'all remember us, you know, memory during, during this week, I said, I'll pray for you right now. Does that be okay? He said, yeah, really? I said, yeah, let's pray right now. So I pulled my car over and I just prayed. Prayed a strong prayer. <laughs> prayed a Jesus prayer. And, uh, you know, I prayed for his friend and, and I prayed for his stepdaughter and lifted all these things up in Jesus' name and went, amen. And his response was, wow, that was a prayer. <laughs> he said, man. I said, well, I said, um, yeah, I'll be thinking about you throughout this week and, uh, and I'll be praying for you, you know, and for your family. And, uh, and then I kind of laughed because he said, hey, tell you what. I'll get that watch to you in just a couple of weeks, all right? I'll get, that, I'll get that for you. I said, hey, no problem. I said, just whenever you need it. And I hung up the phone from him. I thought about that. I said, Danny, what a huge mistake you would have made. How dumb can you be over a watch that you would have jumped in and you had no idea what the situation was with this man? It's just a great reminder that when life situations take place, before we react in anger, let's seek to understand the situation before we react. All right, real quickly, just walk through them. Number two, watch your words. Number two is watch your words. Um, Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath. So just watch your words. Say things that are kind, gentle, don't be harsh. Number three, deal with anger quickly. If you've got some kind of anger, you don't want it to fester. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, it says, Be angry and do not sin, and don't let the sun go down on your anger. And we, we've heard this and seen this. And when it says be angry, it's talking about there are things that we are to be angry over. There's some justifiable things that we get angry, but we're not to sin. And if somebody's done something that's hurt you and you kind of get angry and that's just don't sin. You need to, don't let the sun go down on your sin, uh, on your anger. Go on and talk to them. Because if you let it fester, 
it gives Satan a foothold and he begins to work in there. And that situation that was this level begins to get escalated. And all of a sudden, you find yourself getting angrier and you find yourself doing things that are destructive and damaging. Number four. Number four is this, and that is don't make friends with anger owners. (laughs) Don't make friends with anger owners. I want you to hear me very clearly on here. Don't make friends with anger owners. Proverbs chapter 22, 24 through 25 says this. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Look at this verse. Make no friendship with a man given to anger. Literally, that word means an anger owner, an anger owner. Nor go with a wrathful man. You remember we talked about a hot-tempered man boiling over in poison? That's what that means. He says, don't make a friendship with them. Now, it doesn't say you never talk to them. It just says, don't make a committed friendship with them. Why? Why should I not make a friendship with them? Lest you learn his ways. This is when people say, well, I was just born with this anger temperament. No, book of Proverbs says you can learn that. You hang around with people that are angry people, guess what's going to happen? You're going to become an angry person. And he's warning you saying, don't be friends with those that are anger owners. Because what will happen is you yourself will become an anger owner. And you don't want to be that way. Now, you get into conversations, you still... Uh, interact with them, but I just wouldn't make them my best friend on there. Okay. All right. Uh, and last is this, and that is to choose forgiveness over anger, choose forgiveness over anger. Proverbs nineteen eleven says this good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. It's his glory to overlook an offense. And what that means, there are some things that happen that you cannot overlook. I understand. I mean, there are some things that are major things that happen and you got to deal with them. But there are things in life that come up that are not that big. And we want to take those things and get all angry over it. Proverbs says, you know what? It's for glory to overlook an offense. And there will come times when you just need to write it off. There are times when you may come to someone and talk to them and, and try to talk to them about, about something you may be angry over, but you never get an apology, you never get it worked out. You just got to go and just say, hey, Lord, I've forgiven them. I'm just going to move on. Overlook that offense. Choose forgiveness over anger. When you let anger stay within your being, it will pollute everything else in your life. So go with forgiveness and say, I want to forgive them. You know, when you, you think about this, you think about, about anger, you think that there needs to be like wrath that comes down. Well, there is the wrath of God because God is really angry over our sins and our sins have separated from God. And it, the Bible says that the payment for sin is death. That's the wrath of God, that we will die physically, spiritually because of our sins. But then what he did was out of his love for us, he gave us his son, Jesus Christ, who lived on this earth for approximately 33 years, lived a sinless life, and then went to the cross to die for our sins. And when we say to die for our sins, it means that he took the wrath of God for our sins. 
that the wrath of God was poured out on him. And he says, I will take the wrath of God for you and for me. To offer me the forgiveness of sins. Wow. And when you drive this down even, even closer to just the life of Jesus. And today as we get ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper. I think about when he sat there at that table. At the Lord's Supper. With these 12 men who had been with him throughout his ministry. People he had discipled, people he poured his life into, people who were going to be responsible for sharing the gospel message out there. As he's reclining with them, getting ready to eat this last meal, knowing that hours from now, he will be arrested, beaten, and then crucified. As he looks around that table, every one of those men are going to desert him. One of those men, Peter, who's in the inner three, is going to flat out deny him three times. And then Judas, who's been with him this time, is the one that's going to betray him on there. And as he has this meal, what would you be thinking? Me? There'd be a lot of anger. There'd be a lot of anger. Over pouring the life into these. And then you're going to deny me? And you told me you would never deny me? And I'm getting ready to tell you that it is? But if you read all through the, you read in the book of John and you read about all the discourse that took place in there. Nothing in there ever is him being angry. It's incredible. It's soft words. It's teaching them, sharing with them. It's just showing, he's already showing forgiveness. I know what you're going to do and I'm already going to forgive you for it. Overlooking those offenses. And so in this morning, as we get ready to close our service out, we're going to have a partaking of the Lord's Supper. And as we partake of the Lord's Supper, I want us to be thanking our Lord that God took his wrath against sin and he poured it out on his own son so that we could have eternal life. So that when we accept that sacrifice, then we can become a part of God's family. And at the same time, think about Jesus' example and how as he was able to overlook these offenses, to still love these men and to pour into them, even in these closing hours, may we also be a people that have a soft answer for others. May we try to get a hold on this anger that comes up in our lives. So I'm going to ask our ushers at this time, if you will come and let's prepare for the distribution of the elements. And as they are preparing for the distribution of elements, let me just share with you a couple of things about uh, taking the Lord's Supper. Partaking of the Lord's Supper is something that as believers that we have the opportunity to do. And so for anyone that's sitting here, you don't have to be a member of our church. You don't have to be a Southern Baptist. But if you've made a decision to receive Christ as Savior, if you've been born again, adopted into the family of God, and you know that you're a believer in Christ, we want you to feel free to participate in this. But there may be some of you here that say, Danny, in all honesty, I've got to tell you, I've I've never made that decision uh, for Christ, what you're talking about. And I came here today and maybe I had a friend that was singing in the choir. And and what I would ask you to do is when we pass the elements to just go on and keep passing it. Because it is for believers. It is where we take this to remember the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But I would encourage you, I would encourage you to think about what we've talked about. And my hope is that in the midst of this service, you too would want to make that decision. Even as these six people had made their decision to accept Christ 
as your Savior. And so I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And after I lead us in a word of prayer, we begin to distribute the elements. I ask you just take it, hold on, and then I'll give you some further instructions. Heavenly Father, at this moment, as we think about the Lord's Supper and as the elements will be passed in just a moment, as we hold that cup and we think about the body that was broken and the blood that was shed, may there be a thanksgiving in our hearts for what Jesus has done. But at the same time, Lord, may we take an inventory of our own lives and say, Lord, where am I in my walk with you? And I pray you'll speak to each one of our hearts. I pray you'll zero in on the one or two areas that we know has been a struggle or we know that we've not given to you. And that today would be the day that we say, God, I want you to have it all. I want you to have it all. And Lord, in the midst of our culture and what's going on, Lord, I'd love to see a spiritual awakening take place. And Lord, let it start in my life right now. And so, Father, speak to our hearts through these moments. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.